What a great time of singing, worshiping, praying to our Lord. I hope you're rejoicing as you're just here among the saints. Um, it's a privilege for me to be here and preach the word to you. It's truly, I'm thankful to the Lord for this opportunity. I will ask you to bow your hearts with me and pray with me as we look into the word of God. Father, we just constantly reminded of how much we're dependent on you. We just realize over and over that in and of ourselves we're nothing, worth of nothing, can do nothing. Everything has been accomplished through Jesus, your son, and it's in him we stand. It is him we worship, and it is him who we want to follow. We are praising you because you have called us not only with the general call that is proclaimed throughout the earth, but with this irresistible call that we can respond to you by faith, not of ourselves again, but by your power. And we pray to you, Lord, that we would learn how to follow you. As we read Jesus' words, we pray that you would give us clarity. What does that mean for me to follow you? every moment of my life. Bless us, Lord, I pray. Work among us and within us through your spirit. In the name of Jesus, I ask you, amen. I will ask you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Actually, we will read two passages, one from Matthew 8 and one from Luke 9, which is a parallel passage maybe just giving us a little bit more detail. In Matthew chapter 8, verses, we'll start from 16 and go down to 23. This is after Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. It says this in verse 16. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me, and allow the dead to bury their own dead. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. If you could also open to Luke Gospel according to Luke chapter 9, and we'll read a very similar passage from verses 57 through 62. 9:57 through 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, 
Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. If you, could, you can turn your page back to Matthew 8. I want to probably, you probably can recall as you read different history books or as you watch documentaries about war or maybe a movie, you oftentimes see young men when they have been summoned to go to war, to even swim across the ocean, to fight the enemy, how much excitement there is among these young men. You've probably seen them. They throw a big party. They, they're excited. They are full of this vigor. They are, there's this bravery seen there. There's this loyalty to their nation. There's this loyalty to the brothers next to them, right? There's this loyalty for the good cause that the nation takes their stand for. They are ready to kill. They say things like, I'm ready to kill those Japs. I'm ready to kill those Nazis, right? And it is until they get to the battlefield itself, when they observe everything, the death, the loss of the close one, the mutilations, just the evil of the war and what it takes from you and how they're overwhelmed with this fear that many of them just can't move forward. Many of them wish to quit right there. They just know that they cannot quit because their government is going to say that you are a coward and you are a deceiver and you will be executed for this desertion. And nevertheless, some of them, knowing that they will be executed, they still cannot handle it, and they walk out. If you read, in England alone, from World War II, over 300 people were executed for desertion because they cannot walk, they cannot fight. Somewhat, we can relate when we observe what is happening in the ministry of Jesus. When... Jesus proclaims this general call and says, come, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. When he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's this general call, and many people are excited. Many people, they say, I want to follow. I want to follow that Jesus. And then we know from the scripture itself that when times change, when circumstances change, Many people fall away. Many people desert, who you may say, and are not loyal to Jesus. We have the same context here. Jesus Christ has been walking in the region of Galilee, in the northern Israel there, and he has been proclaiming the kingdom of God. He just preached a massive sermon where people, people's jaws kind of dropped and they said, Wow. We have never heard anyone preach like that. Not only was he good, he spoke with authority like no one else. None of the religious teachers spoke like this teacher spoke. And they say, we want to follow him. Next thing you see, 
People are being healed. Demons are being cast out. You have this change in front of your eyes that you see that the change that people get better, literally better, and they want to follow this Jesus. But you also can see from verse 18 that Jesus is not impressed by the crowds. You can look the same way at uh, Luke chapter 14. As soon as he sees massive crowds, he doesn't always just say, great, this is what I came for, to draw as many of you as possible. He starts to kind of weed people out a little bit. You can see that when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to depart to the other side of the sea. You may say maybe Jesus was tired. He was draining his physical and spiritual strength in order to cast out all these demons, heal so many sick. The, day, the end of the day is near. He's just tired. Perhaps he wanted to teach his disciples another lesson of faith. But we definitely see that he's not drawn by these crowds. He wants to step out of the way and... We will see why next time. But also I want you to see that Jesus can read people very well. In John chapter 6, verse 64, it says this. But when Jesus speaks to the, uh, to the crowd, he says this. But there are some of you who do not believe. And then it says, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Jesus was extremely good at reading people. Whether supernaturally or just ability to do that, he knew, it says, that he knew people through and through. In John chapter 2, verse 24, it says, But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them because he knew all people. And because he did not need anyone to testify about mankind, for he himself knew what was in mankind. He knew the hearts of people and why they come to them to him. So why did they come? Like I said, they were mesmerized by all that Jesus was doing, by his teaching, by his healing, by casting out demons. We know later when Matthew's going to talk about feeding, they truly wanted to be fed. He feeds 5,000 men with women and children in addition, 4,000. Jesus confronts them in John 6 and says, you guys followed me not because you believe me, but you guys ate and were fed and your stomachs were filled. That's why you want to come after me. And this is why you want to make me king. Because I can just fulfill all your needs. There were many people who were just simply spectators. Perhaps they didn't have an immediate need. But it was fun to watch Jesus. And you may say, you might even ask the question is, how am I different from people in majority of this crowd? How am I different? Or if you're an unbeliever, if you've been coming here, perhaps your mom and your dad were bringing you here for years now, or perhaps your friends brought you here today, you may be in the same boat. You might be observing the things of Jesus and what he has done, and you're just simply impressed with Jesus. And you may say, well, if Jesus can do these things for other people, I wouldn't mind him to do these things for me. And that is okay. 
Because you're getting to learn about Jesus and you're getting to know who he truly is. And we pray that the Lord would give you that faith to depend on him despite what he gives you. He does have a promise, but despite what you, give from, what you get from him in this world. But if you are a believer, there is a call for you to follow as well. There's a call for you to do so in the way he wants you to do it. Today, our following is obviously not reflected in physical following of Jesus. We're not in Palestine. Jesus is not on earth. He's in heaven now. But yet our following is expressed by with every action, every word we say, every decision that we make, every plan that we construed, everything in that is our following is expressed. When we read about disciples dropping everything and following Jesus, do you wonder, like, would you be able to do that? Would you be able to drop everything, your business, your close ones sometimes, and just follow Jesus? Well, the call is the same for you and me today. I want you to notice one thing very importantly is that you cannot do it in and of yourself. You cannot drop everything. In fact, probably by the time you made it to church here, you could not drop many of the things that you love and adore in your life, including yourself. You could not fully deny Jesus or yourself in order to follow Jesus. With the word that you thought, or the thought that you thought, or the word that you said, you are, cannot follow him perfectly. And if you look at the pattern of Jesus as he preaches from the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount, and he continues on, he shows you that you simply are unable, unable to follow him. You cannot follow the, and obey the laws. You cannot fulfill the righteousness on your own. You can only trust what you trust in him. Jesus called these disciples with the irresistible call. And disciples later on, they will recognize, when they're writing the epistles, they will tell you that they cannot do and could not do anything of their own. Jesus produced in them, by faith, what they were able to surrender all to him. Even though very imperfectly, in faith, and oftentimes in unordinary ways where we can look back at them and say, I don't know how Peter was able to do it. I don't know how Paul was able to do it. Oh, these disciples were able to do it. We know that they were able to do it by faith, even though these things seem to be impossible to us. So Jesus, in this passage, within the context, continuously teaches us repeatedly that his followers must have faith. Those who are full of faith, they recognize their personal inability. They trust and rely on Jesus and his works, and they receive healing. They have their demons cast out of them. They are able to obey God and Jesus Christ, and they will receive rewards according to that faith alone. Not of themselves, not produced by their own flesh. This is extremely important for us to 
observe that as we look at this context. Now, when we look at closer at these two guys, two men, one is a scribe and one is called a disciple. Now, we don't know whether he was one of the 70s. We don't know whether he was one of the 12. We don't know what disciple he is, or maybe he's called a disciple for now since he just follows along with the crowd. But these two men came and they have expressed to a certain degree commitment. If you look at it, you will see that one, which is the scribe, he says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus tells him, wait, have you considered the cost? Have you considered the cost? We can imagine that if this disciple or this scribe would have considered the cost, he would say, yes, I have. Or maybe he walked away, and maybe a year later he would consider the cost, and he would follow. But we don't know. The Scripture does not give us the answer of what has happened to, the, to him. Jesus just provides a test for him. The other man, he says, I will follow you, but there is this hesitation. There is this delay. He says, allow me first. And Jesus says, let go. Follow me. Let go of the things that entice you. Follow me. So the brief account of this commitment or hesitancy of these men, it leads us to ask this question, what kind of loyalty that Jesus seeks? What does he expect of those whom he calls out of this world? What does he expect from those who already did Jesus' disciples like you and me? In fact, the better question is this, not only what he expects, but what does he produce in those who respond in faith to call to the call to follow? And here's the main point I want you to leave with, okay? I'll read it twice. Jesus calls his followers to fully surrender themselves to his care and will. Jesus calls his followers to fully surrender to his care and will. That is, the followers of Christ in faith surrender to him their earthly endeavors, possessions, responsibilities, family, time, a way of life for the sake of Christ and for the sake of his will. By faith, I want you to recognize it, in faith. Now, takes us to the first point I wanted to make. And that we can look at the response of the first wannabe followers. The first point is that faithful response to follow sur surrenders comfort and gains. Faithful response to follow surrenders comfort and gains. Before I continue, I'd like to define some of these terms. When I say faithful, a lot of times we misuse the word. When I say faithful, you may think my personal loyalty, like the soldier's loyalty to the United States of the Army, right? My faithfulness, my persistence in this. When I say faithful, I am talking about you being full of faith. I'm talking about you being fully trusting and depending on Christ, his works that have been completed, his works that are continue to be worked out by the power of the Holy Spirit within you. That is what I'm talking about as faithful. 
And now the other term is when I say surrender, I'm not saying giving it up right now, let's go home, sell our possessions, give it to the poor, and kind of sit around and preach of the gospel. When I speak of surrender, and when we talk about surrendering all, that means you surrender the right to hold on to this and grasp it and clench it with your fist and say, I'm not letting it go, Jesus. I want to hold on to it. I I like it too much. That's what I'm talking about. When you say surrender, you say, Lord, whatever you want to do with it, it is not mine. Whether it's my possessions, whether it's my family, whether it's my children, whether it's my work, whether it's my whatever it is, it doesn't belong to me. So I'm allowing you, I'm trusting you to do with it whatever you want for your glory. And I know that you will fulfill my needs. That is what I mean by surrender. In order for you to surrender your comfort and your gains, you have to believe in Jesus for who he is. And this is kind of a pre-point to my first point. If you look at this address that the scribe comes with to Jesus, he says this, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, if you look at this title of teacher and the use of the title for the most part of the book of Matthew, it is used on several occasions. And whenever someone just addresses him by teacher, typically that person does not believe in Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and Savior of your personal soul. There is lack of faith right there, usually right away. Let me give you a few examples. Scribes and Pharisees. Asked him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you so that you could prove to us for who truly you are. Or a young rich ruler says, good teacher, what should I do in order to inherit the kingdom of God? Or for example, Pharisees plotted a trap and they sent their disciples to Jesus. And these guys come and they say, teacher, we know that you're truthful and teach the way of God and the truth. Should we pay taxes or should they these guys pay taxes they wanted to trap him because they don't have faith in them sadducees called them that way a lawyer came says teacher which is the great commandment the greatest commandment right so all of these encounters people do not truly believe in who jesus is most likely this scribe did not believe that jesus is the son of god who's here to reign and in order to save souls and to provide his life for an atonement of sin. But look what Jesus answered him, answers him. And he says, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his hand. He calls himself the Son of Man. In the book of Matthew, this is the first time he calls himself very often, including the book of Matthew or the gospel according to Matthew, this title the Son of Man is mentioned 89 times in the New Testament. Guess what? 79 times Jesus calls himself out of that 82 times. 79 is when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. In fact, it's Jesus' favorite title for himself. And a lot of people may say, well, Jesus is just pointing out to his humanity. He wants to emphasize his humanity. But when you read the gospel, including the gospel according to Matthew, you will see something else. 
that in fact he wants to point out his divinity, that he is a divine son, son of man. If you look at this title and this phrase that is used in the Old Testament, it oftentimes pointed to a couple of things. One, it pointed to this weakness of human, dependence of human upon God. God oftentimes used it to call Ezekiel that way. But then if you turn your pages a little bit back to Daniel, and I want you to read that with me if you can. Open to Daniel chapter 7, and I'll read verses 13 and 14. This is a little bit of introductory because you're going to see this title again and again in the Gospels. And here's David. He's seeing vision. And he says, I kept looking in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. When Daniel saw the vision, he saw Jesus Christ, who is coming up from the earth to the Almighty God, his Father, the Ancient of Days, and presented himself before him. Here you can see that the Son of Man is presented who is full of glory, dominion, and whose kingdom will not have an end. Therefore, when you look forward now into the New Testament, or for us back into the New Testament, when we see that Jesus points to the Son of Man, he points himself as the Lord of the Sabbath, one who made the Sabbath, and now he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. He points to his divinity and says, the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sin, so he's pointing to his divine nature. But also he points to a humble beginnings of his ministry, like we have here in Matthew 8. He will point again, son of man will be crucified. Son of man will rise on the third day. Son of man will then rise to the Father and will come in the clouds with great power and glory. So Jesus is just opening up the true nature of himself as he's proclaiming and teaching the crowds and his disciples about himself. The scribe probably did not see him as that. The scribe who is this PhD in religion, a man who has just devoted his life to studying scripture, in order to teach the people of the law, in order to um, live, his whole life was surrounded by the word of God. He did not believe that Jesus Christ was true son of God and true God. First, it begins with you believing who he is. If you believe that Jesus, as someone who is here to fulfill your righteousness, to pay your penalty for your sins, if you see him as one who died and rose again, sitting next to God the Father, then you have responsibility and now ability given by faith in order to respond to him in your surrender. 
Now, let's get back to our first point. Faithful response to follow surrenders comfort and gain. And we have this man, and this man probably have, has considered some cost. Most of the scribes and Pharisees did not accept Jesus, and this scribe at least wanted to follow. There's something about Jesus that intrigued him, something that he wanted to do to follow him. It, it's, I think there was a cost. I don't believe it was sufficient. That's what Jesus is saying. He hasn't considered enough. He may have had to give up his education. Someone says it's kind of like finishing college, getting college degree, and then learning that your college degree is from a college that is not accredited. So you kind of have to start all over. Um, personal achievements, personal um, reputation among other scribes and Pharisees. He had to give it up, but... There was something that he likely looked forward to, and when he observed Jesus, he says, man, this Jesus can really teach. Remember in chapter 7 of Matthew when it says, the, scribe, the crowd saw that he taught them not as their scribes, but someone with authority. He said, I wish I, wish I could teach like this Jesus. He might have seen at the very high of Jesus's ministry, he says, from what I'm seeing, from where this is going, this crowd can only grow bigger and bigger, and I want to be next to this Jesus, following him, and therefore he felt the urge to come, not just to kind of roam around with Jesus wherever he went, to come and say, Jesus, by the way, I want you to know that I've thought about this, and I want to follow you. But Jesus said, hold up. Have you considered your cost? Have you considered this? Because look at me. If you're going to follow me, there is no guarantee what you're going to find. The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. If you want to imitate me and follow me, there is no guarantee that you're going to get a home. Even if you compare me to the wild animals like foxes who have a place to hide, who have some security, have some cover from rain and from all the elements of the, you know, the outside world, from all the other animals, I don't. I don't have a home. Jesus had perhaps borrowed a home in Capernaum for some time, but during the time of his ministry, he was just going from town to town, from town to town, proclaiming, teaching, healing, just loving people. And he says, there is no guarantee that you will have it. No comfort, no rest, nor home, but perhaps hardship and rejection. This is what the scribe did not consider it. Do you believe, personally, that Jesus' call to you is worth the loss? Do you believe that? In Christ, you have everything. You have security like no one else. Eternal security. You have a stamp of the Holy Spirit on you. 
that tells you that you are secure despite your circumstances of life. Even if you lose everything, you are secure in me. Christ carries your infirmities. Christ gained for you peace. If you trust him, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, that is what you have and this is what I have in Christ. In Christ, you don't need possession. You don't need possession. Christ is your possession. You have Christ. Even if you lose everything. So try to think of trust. Try to think of surrender, allowing Jesus to say, you have control of all that I have in my garage, in my house, my reputation, my education, my job, everything, my church, my friends, my family, my children, my wife, everything is in your possession. Lord, help me to be able to surrender it to you. At some point, disciples had the same question. Probably not at the strongest point. But Peter said, look, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? Remember? It's a very legit question. Jesus, I don't have my boat anymore. My family's away. I don't have my business. We've kind of been roaming around, scrambling for food sometimes, <laughs> eating grains of wheat, right? Um, what do we have for this? He told them what they will have, but then he also says this, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. You might not get another house. In fact, you might live in shambles, but you have Christ. You have eternal life. You have him who fulfills every need. And I hope you come to the realization and say, it's just, he's so much better. He's so much better. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, it says this, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of crops. Do not hold on to these things. I want to compete, but listen, can I just have this, Jesus? Can I just hold on to this? Can I just hold on to this sin? No one knows about it. Only I know about it, but can I just do it once in a while? He says, surrender it. Surrender all to Jesus. Surrender your comfort. Surrender your gains because they're not worthy. They're not worth it. Number two, faithful response to follow involves surrendering of earthly matters. Faithful, again, if you're full of faith in Christ, if you recognize your inability, then you will surrender your earthly matters. Take a look at our next person. He said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. Do you ever read this and you're like, Jesus, 
Is this a little too rough? Right? But remember, there are two factors you need to know. You need to know that Jesus sees the hearts of men, as we read. That's one. Second, you need to understand the context and you need to understand the culture here. What is Jesus talking about here? Burial of the Father was very different from burial today. When a Jewish man dies, they bury him usually same day and usually by sunset. And then they have a period of mourning, perhaps a week. Some people say up to a week. Some people say up to a month. They mourn the death of a loved one. And then there's a tradition, especially in the times of Jesus, that a year later, that the person, the firstborn son, would come into the cave where the father was buried, and he would take all the bones, dried up bones, and he would stack them in the box and would put them carefully onto the shelf. At that point, it would be considered the father is buried. Now, that is one view of this. There's another opinion about this where burial of a father, by this term, he meant, let me take care of my father until he does. In the cultures where truly it is extremely important to truly take care of the father, it is um, culturally acceptable and required to do that. He says, allow me to live with my father and take care of him until he passes away and then I will follow you, Jesus. And Jesus says, look, follow me. Allow the dead to bury their own dead. Now, just a few notes. Honestly, don't believe Jesus told him or tells any of you to skip on your father's funeral. I don't believe that. Because Jesus And I don't believe that Jesus means here not to take care of your parents because it would be contrary to what Jesus said elsewhere. Do you remember when Jesus talked to the scribes and Pharisees and he rebuked them? Why? Because they would accept the the tradition and set it over following the law. When Pharisees would say, listen, if a young man wants to give up all of the possession... And instead of taking care of his parents, he can just give it all to God, for God as Corban. He can do that. They had their own self-interest in that, but they didn't care about the elderly. They didn't care about family, the, the dying parents, so to speak. And Jesus elevated that. He says, no, follow the law. Parents are to take care of their children, are to take care of their parents. It's also would be contrary to other passages in the whole Bible, the law, even in the New Testament. First Timothy 5.8, we read this, but if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So Jesus didn't mean that you have to drop taking care of your father. That's not what he meant. I believe the disciple here, he considered fulfilling ceremonial obligations. When he could follow Jesus, he considered other things that are worldly matters. 
as greater and as more important and more urgent than following Christ here. And we see that by Jesus' answer. He says, allow the dead, bury the dead. He didn't say that allow your father who just died last week to bury people like that, to bury your father. No, that's not what he meant. He meant stop clinging to the earthly matters or these obligations that are earthly. Allow people of this world, of this system, not of my kingdom, to take care of the things that may seem so important to them. For you and me, such things may include your reputation, your reputation within the church, reputation at work, reputation among your family members, could be your financial status because it's so well acceptable within the world, it could be your possessions, and search for possessions, it could be your earthly security of some sort of, could be your education level, whatever you cling to and say, Jesus, I will follow you, but let me just finish this and I will follow you. If the Lord calls you now, follow me now, he wants you to follow him now. We read in Luke chapter 9, and there was another man, a third man, and I'll just mention briefly that man had I would say familial closeness. Again, it could be because of reputation. He says, I will follow you, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. I don't think he just wanted to give them a hug and just wanted to, okay, honey, I'll see you maybe in a year when we kind of make our rounds through this village again. I don't think that that's what he meant. Because of the answer, he says, no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He was hesitant. Well, maybe I'll go and I'll see my family. I will kind of talk. I will seek counsel. See what they think about that. There is a difference between familial obligations versus familial attachments where you don't want to hurt their feelings because you're doing something for Christ. If your family draws you away from Christ, calls you to sin, or just use time in different ways. It is out of your love for Christ that you will say no to the family. Even despite possibility that it will place maybe a barrier in your relationship with them. It's a blessing when your family is with you. When they bless you in your ministry. When they walk and they love Christ. It is a different situation when you have a husband or a wife or you have children or parents who do not know the Lord. It makes it much, much more difficult because you are completely on a different wavelength with them, right? Your thoughts and actions are contrary to what your family members have. And Jesus says, do not look back. Do not say, well, just for the sake of peace, we'll just do this and this, involve in this sin and that sin. He wants you to follow now and do not delay. From Pilgrim's Progress, you, may, you might remember when Christian, this pilgrim, when he was converted and he was going on his road to the kingdom, right, to the city, and family ran after him and they were saying, stay with us, right? And then at some point, a person by the name Charity met him and this charity says, do you have any family or your wife or children? He says, I have a wife and I have four small children. 
And why do you not bring him with you? Then Christian wept and said, Oh, how willingly would I have done it. But they were all, all of them, utterly averse to my going on pilgrimage. But you should have talked to them and have endeavored to have shown them the danger of being behind. So I did, Christian says, and I told them also what God had shown to me of the destruction of our city. But I seemed to them as one mocked, and they did not believe me. Well, did you pray to God that he would bless you, your counsel to them? Yes. And that with much affection, for you must think that my wife and poor children were very dear to me. But did you tell them of your own sorrow and fear of destruction? For I suppose that destruction was visible enough to you. Yes, over and over and over. They might also see my fears in in my countenance, in my tears, and also my trembling under the apprehension of the judgment that did, did hang over our heads, but all was not sufficient to prevail with them to come with me. Do not look back. This pilgrim, he went forward. He says, I want to follow Christ. It takes us to a last point, which is this. Faithful response to follow involves surrendering to Christ's will. We've talked about that when you believe in Christ and all that he is to you, you can be very rest assured. You have that peace, security, home. You have the promise. You have everything fulfilled in Christ for yourself. But there is a call. Follow me. And the big, big aspect of following Christ means that you are to imitate him. Remember in Luke 9:60, he said to that man, second man, as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. That means you have to do what I tell you to do. You're not going to do it because you can do it. But you're going to do it because I'm going to empower you to do it. Jesus said in John 4.34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That was the food of Jesus Christ. That's what he lived for. And now he says, follow me. Make that your food to do what I tell you to do. I am the Lord of your soul, and I am the Lord, I'm the commander-in-chief, and I will tell you what to do, and I will give you strength to do it. Do it. Do not delay. Follow now. Just don't stop at dwelling on Jesus' care for you. He does care. But now you have to trust him that he is able to produce obedience in you, He's able to produce desire in you. He's able to produce action in you for his kingdom and for his glory. Well, do you feel like you fail? Feel like, do you feel like you fail in surrendering all to him? I, I feel like I fail. I'll give you an example A man named Judson Van Deventer was a famous hymn writer. He was born in the state of Michigan in 1855. After his graduation from college, he became an art teacher and supervisor of art in the public schools in Pennsylvania. 
In addition, he was a very accomplished musician, singer, and composer. And yet he was a layman in church. He served, and people saw it, his talent and his God-given abilities, and they said, brother, why don't you just drop that, your career, <laughs> and just do what you do full-time for Christ? And it, he would talk about himself. He says, it took me five years. I could not let go of that career when I knew the call for me is to drop it. At the end of the day, after five years, he surrendered that hold. He surrendered that career. And he wrote, in occasion of the surrender, a psalm or a hymn that you all know. I surrender all. Let me just read you a couple verses here. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. In his presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me Jesus. Take me now. I love this one. All to Jesus I surrender. Make me Savior holy thine. Let me feel the Holy Spirit truly know that thou art mine. All to Jesus I surrender. Lord, I give myself to thee. Fill me with thy love and power. Let thy blessing fall on me. Look, anytime I sing this hymn, I don't know how you sing, but first couple of verses, it is very hard to sing. Really? I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily life. Um, I fail every single day in following him in the way that he calls me to follow. I think you do too, if you're being honest with yourself. I think you do too. Disciples, as good as they were, they failed. Peter was just, Jesus, even if all of these will deny you, I will follow you to death. Remember that? That's after three years of discipleship, okay? I will follow a few hours later. Nope, never knew this man. I don't even know what you're talking about. And all of them were saying the same thing, it says. And they all denied him and they ran from him and they hid from him. Please recognize again and again that your following doesn't depend on your strength. Your faithfulness, your loyalty depends on faithfulness of Jesus Christ to hold you fast to hold your faith, to bring you all the way as he promised to the eternal kingdom. Please remember that. But also remember that he has the power to make these, to make these, um, excuse me, surrender, acts of surrender in every moment of your life. He gives you ability when you act according to the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in you to do the surrender. So as a, as a summary, I want to give you three points of following. You guys ready for this? Step number one. Recognize your inability to fulfill the law, obey him, or follow Jesus with complete loyalty. Have you done this? Step two. 
have faith in Jesus who has fulfilled all of these requirements. He has fulfilled it. Number three, trust in Jesus when you surrender all of your life to Christ's will in every moment of your life. Do so by the Holy Spirit within you, not by flesh through your own strength. Number four, repeat steps one through three. This is a lifelong process. It never ends. For as long as you will have your flesh, you will constantly put it to death, only trusting in him, only relying on his power within you. For those of you who are sitting and say, this is tough work, and I'm not sure if I want to commit to Christ like that, I will tell you, Christ is amazing. He is above all things that you can imagine. He is above all gains that you may have in this world, above all the benefits, all the comforts of this world, all of this minutia of this world. He is greater, better, infinitely better. Make the call, follow him, respond to that call in faith in him. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just want to praise you and thank you that it is by your power we have believed in you. It is out of your mercy that you have opened our eyes. And positionally, we're already sitting in the kingdom. We're part of your family. We're your children. You will never deny us. You will never take away the spirit that seals us. We are yours. We praise you. Forgive us, Father, when we sometimes, with our own strength, we try to follow you and we are becoming maybe like pious Pharisees, trying to fulfill something on our own, trying to produce something by our flesh. When something good comes out, we give ourselves credit. But Lord, we pray that you would give us strength to only fully rely on you. Submit to the power of the Holy Spirit. Recognize that we are like every saint of this Bible who has failed repeatedly and we fail daily. And follow you and be attentive to the Holy Spirit speaking and be only empowered by him. We praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.